This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so excited you're here today. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And of course, I am super thankful for all of you who listen to this show. It means so much to me. Today's episode, I'm bringing back a returning guest on the show. Molly Huddle is back on. I always love catching up with Molly. She has been on the show three times before. So this is her fourth appearance. She was on in January of 2018 after she broke the American record in the half marathon in Houston. She was on after the 2018 New York City Marathon when she placed fourth. And we talked about her book, How She Did It, in March of this past year, 2022. We did that on Instagram Live and then it came out on the podcast as well. So if you love this episode with Molly and you're like, man, I want to hear more from Molly. Well, we've got lots in the archives from her. Uh, She is one of my favorite athletes. Molly runs for Saucony and she's a two-time Olympian. She is the previous American record holder in the half marathon. Actually, she set a ton of American records. She still holds the American record in the 10K, which she set at the Rio Olympics in 2016. Molly is a new mom, so we talk about postpartum running and what that's looked like for her and what her goals are in the future. That's a big part of this episode. Molly is also the co-host of the podcast, Keeping Track with Alicia Montano and Roisin McGettigan. And if you haven't checked out her new book, check it out. It's called How She Did It. All right. And this episode of the podcast is supported by Prevenex. If you have not landed on a protein powder that you love, let me tell you, Prevenex Neurofi Plus is my go-to. It is so good. It is packed with vitamins and minerals. It is a vegan protein supplement. It contains ultra-healthy and balanced protein, carbs, and fat with comprehensive, high-quality micronutrients, probiotics, digestive enzymes, and more to help fuel your health. We make this all the time at my house after workouts. My kids have smoothies. We sprinkle them on their bananas and peanut butter. This protein powder is daily used at our house. They also have a great multivitamin. If you've ever found yourself walking around Target or looking online like, oh, what vitamin works well? I don't know what to pick. I am so sold on this company. I have talked with the founder of the company multiple times and researched their products. And they truly believe in the power of health and making sure their products are top notch. They also donate a bottle of Supervite's Kids Vitamins to malnourished children in communities where they really need the nutrition for every purchase you buy. So I encourage you to check out Prevenex. Go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER and that will save you 15% off your order. All right, friends, please leave us a rating and review. I'm serious. Leave us a rating and review if you enjoy the podcast. That is one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. We have a winner to give away because we give away a pair of Gooder sunglasses every single month for a new rating and review. And the rating and review winner for November is, now listen, if this is you, you got to send me an email, lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com. Trunky Elephant. 
That is your iTunes name. I love keeping up with what's happening in the running world. Lindsay has great interviews that keep you interested. I love her down to earth style of interviewing. Keep up the great work. That is so nice. Thank you so much for that rating interview. Really, really appreciate it. Friends, enjoy my conversation with Molly Huddle. All right. Today, back on the podcast for the, I don't know, maybe fourth time, Molly Huddle. So excited to have you back, Molly. Hi, Lindsay. Yeah, thanks. It's been a while since I've talked to you, so glad to be back. (laughs) You know, I was thinking this through. I think you might have been like 20 weeks pregnant when you came on, and we talked about, oh, we did an IG Live, and we talked about the book. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I ended up putting that audio on the podcast as well. Nice. I never know if I should, because the audio on IG Lives are kind of funny, but I'm like... This needs to go on the feed too. I can't just have Molly Huddle on IG Live. I need to get this on the podcast as well. Yeah, you know, I'm never picky about the audio. I'm more about the content. Um, and it comes back to bite us on our own podcast sometimes. <laughs> totally. Like, it's fine. And then comments are like, the audio is poor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like when I started my podcast, like, my audio was so bad, but podcasts were so new that people were willing to listen through. But if you start a podcast now, there's so many resources and there's not as many excuses. Like I was just like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. But now it's like everybody's like a stickler on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of programs and stuff, but you got to have a good conversation first, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so congrats on your half marathon in Boston. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to. I mean, that's the longest race I've done in a while. So I was glad to just kind of get it under my belt. How did it feel? It felt exactly how I thought it was going to feel, which is good. There were no surprises. Oh, that's good. good. Or bad. Yeah. So I thought I would feel a bit tough after 10 miles. You know, I kept thinking I'm really more ready for a 10 miler. And um, that is exactly how I felt. (laughs) Okay, so you thought that extra 5k was going to be really challenging. Yes, which to be fair, that's the part of the half that is hard. That's like your finishing kick, you know, like you're that's the equivalent of one lap to go in a 5k is like 5k to go in a half. But um, I kind of what I meant was like, I couldn't like if I was racing someone that last 5k, I was pretty sure I wasn't gonna like got it have my usual edge. And that's how I felt. I was racing two ladies to the line. And I was like, Come on, Molly, like your kick is your strength. And it just I just was too tight. Like I was just I had run out of strength. I wasn't 100% prepared for 13.1. So afterwards, I tried not to beat myself up too much. I was like, you know, that's what you predicted. And you were right. So Um, But I felt pretty strong through, I felt surprisingly strong through about 10 miles. Um, It's a really hilly course, so I was glad to handle the hills well. Mm. I wasn't sure I would have the power I needed there, so that was good. So what are you, are you seven or eight months postpartum? Seven months. Seven months postpartum. Tell me what it's like mindset-wise going into a race where you're training again and you're getting back to it, but you know you're not like the fittest Molly huddle and you have some months to go before you get there. Like what is that like towing the line and knowing that like normally you're one of like the first, second, third people through, you know, it's hot. Like it's hard, but I feel like I'm still in the phase of, um, like kind of everyone knows that I'm still coming back. And so the pressure is a little bit off. So it's kind of nice to just like, 
know that I can feel my way through the race and I'm not expected to be doing anything special. But eventually, yeah, I'm going to have to like get the big goals back out and the pressure will be on. So that'll be tough. But I'm not sure. Yeah, this is just the timeline that my body's allowing me to do. And I, I know there's been other elite women who have come back faster. There are some who have come back slower. So I'm kind of not sure if this is um, typical or not, like my timeline, but I'm just kind of accepting where I am right now and um, trying to stay healthy so I can build on it. And so that's kind of been like, even if I'm disappointed with a race result, I'm just like, was it better than the last week? Okay. Yes. And am I healthy and I can build still? Okay. Yes. And then we're just kind of stacking those, those races and weeks on top of each other. And hopefully we get back to at least somewhere close to where I was, you know, I think probably my PRs in the 10 K and 5 K are behind me, but I do think like a marathon PR is possible right now. So that's what we're, that's what we're headed towards. You know, though, like when you say that, like what's typical, it's like, what is typical? You know, it's like, is anything typical? Cause we're all so different. Mm-hmm. And there's just not like a lot of collected, like evidence, like scientific studies and stuff on, um, I mean, women in general, but like, especially <laughs> anything postpartum, anything dealing with postpartum and sports or, you know, running comebacks and things like that. It's all very like, talk to your friend about it because there's not a lot you're going to find in a book or on a website. Yeah. And I had asked you the question about like towing the line because I feel like even everyday runners, pro runners, whatever it is, coming back from injury, baby, like you always when you enter a race where you know you're not your fittest at the time, you're like, I always want to have this like asterisk, like these are the reasons or this is where I am. And I just wonder what that feels like as a pro compared to us everyday runners. I think it depends on the situation. It's definitely a stressful thing. If you're like, like for example, back in college, even like that's a high level environment when you go to NCAA cross country, which was today um, for anyone watching, you know, you're, there's a couple times where I was like showing up just hoping to be the fifth woman on the team mm. because I was injured. And that was so stressful to line up and know you didn't have all your tools. Nobody knew what was going on in your season. Like you knew, like you just kind of knew it was going to be like, painful but still not a super rewarding result Mm. um so that is stressful or like there's there was one or two times at usa's i showed up like that earlier in my career where i'm like oh no like no one knew i was hurt now it's gonna look bad but Mm. i feel like now with social media and just um i don't know kind of like my take on like press conferences and things like that i'm just like more honest because i feel like it makes me feel better (laughs) so if there's anything going on i'm just like hey like i dealt with this um and that way people kind of know the story behind the race results. But what about like strategy with that when you're really out there competing? Cause like you don't want someone to have a leg up on you thinking, Oh, well, Molly's hamstring's been bugging her. And then when it comes to the final kick, they're like, I can get her because of that hamstring. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, I guess it hasn't happened very often to me. So I'm just kind of like, if I'm fit enough, I can beat you. And if I'm not, I can't like, it's it's more the fitness. (laughs) So it's just kind of worked out that way for me. I don't know. I'm, I just like, I like to be honest. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the NCAAs today. I'm so excited to hear what you thought about that. Caitlin Tui, it's exciting for me because now we live in Raleigh. So NC State is just killing it left and right. Yeah. Hometown favorites there. They're, they did an amazing job. Um, I didn't get to watch all the race because I was doing my run, but I came back for the finish and I was like, we were counting all the girls coming in, all the women coming in and um, NC State was getting their trophy when I came in. So yeah, amazing job to Coach Hennes, um, to Lori, and 
Caitlin was like a very savvy racer out there. She kind of let the early move go and then like trusted her kick. So that's pretty, that's a pretty veteran move right there. Yeah. I love Lori Hennis. Like I got to interview her on this podcast and I just feel like she is bringing such a cool culture to their team. It's just, it's so, it seems so positive. And I don't know who was interviewing her. I think Chris Chavez shared an interview though, that um, she was just talking about like, we're not out here to like defend anything. We're just out here to race and it's okay if you're not the underdog. And I just loved her message. Like we're not defending it. We're just doing the best we can. Yeah. I think she's really figuring out just um, the best culture for the the women to thrive in. And hopefully other coaches are taking notes and that's going to, that's going to have like a ripple effect. Yeah. I think if I had a kid running, and going to college, I'd be like, go check out that team. And I yes. saw that Sarah Hall's daughter is going to NC State. So yeah, just yeah. more exciting things to come there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So new mom life. Tell me, like, what were you most surprised about postpartum? And what were you like? Like, I remember postpartum. I was like, why did anybody tell me that I was going to sweat <laughs> through my sheets for three months straight in the middle of the night? You know, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, that definitely happened. I would like change my clothes like twice a night. And I was like, wait, what is going on? Yeah. Um, so there's that. There's I guess, you know, about like, lack of sleep. Um, you know, about um, let's see, she wasn't a great napper. We didn't mm. know anything about nap schedules. I don't know if that's like a new phenomenon. Like if you go online, you can look up all these like pre made baby nap schedules for different <laughs> ages. And it's funny because we had no idea. Like we were just like, like we took like a few classes online, like the regular hospital parent classes. They don't mention nap schedules at all. So I was like, okay, your baby just like sleeps when it's tired. No, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> and, and if you mess it up, they like don't sleep at all and they like cry and get overtired. So I actually somehow didn't know that my own mom, like people's memories just like for certain stages, like they're so quick and you're so tired. I think they forget. So like my mom claims that we all took one nap a day and I was like, no, we didn't. We Throughout took, the like, entirety of your babyhood. Yeah. <laughs> I was like from zero to three months, like I'm sure we took multiple naps. So yeah, it's just like things like that, little details like that we had to learn on the fly. Like, thank God we have Google because I don't know what, like, I guess our friends would have eventually mm-hmm. helped us. Um, and then just like, I don't know, like not, kind of just accepting like doing like 20% of your to-do list in a given day because mm. the rest of the day is like you're you've got the baby in your hand um and you just can't do that much so kind of just like you know accepting that for a little while and I know it's only for a short time so I'm I'm just like okay just like get through infanthood and then you can do more with her and you can do more you know on your schedule too so yeah kind of just Learning the day-to-day schedule has been a learning curve. Are you on the 10 to 2 napping or are you on to one one nap a day? I'm like seven months. I'm, I feel like that's 10 and 2 or the nap times. Um, We're kind of at like, so she wakes, like it's like two hours and then she'll take a nap and then three hours and then she'll take a nap. And then depending on how long the nap is, she'll take like a third mini nap. But sometimes it's just two naps. Yeah. Which it's like er- the early days they take so many naps that you kind of can't do anything. So that no. was like, yeah. Yeah. I remember when my first, cause once I piled them on, it was just kind of like, yeah, you guys are just going to have to 
deal. But um, with my first, I remember I'd be like, I'm going to get to LA Fitness at eight, exactly eight o'clock when they open so we can get back home by like 920 to get that sneak that first nap. And everything was like so methodical with the nap. But it's a game changer because when they nap, you can do things like and you can or you can rest and like your day is so much smoother when you can fit it in. Yeah, and then they're not overtired and crying a lot, which is also not something you want. But I do think because she's our first baby, we are a little bit like overly, I don't know. I feel like we overthink some things at the same time too. I Like I look at bigger families, like as you know, um, you can't do that. Like yeah, once you, you have multiple kids, it just like, it's just all chaos that works together. And you're like, oh, everything's fine. I didn't have to be so, you know, precise and like – obsessed with the schedule (laughs) but it's a beautiful thing when you can be because you then you truly have some freedom you know it's like my third and fourth like we I just couldn't but why wouldn't I with the first when that would give me the time I need away um I'm trying to think I remember the biggest game changer and I didn't learn this until my second I remember night times being so hard I'm like why he gets so fussy at like six and I don't know who told me, but they were like, well, just put him to bed. And so all my, my third, four, second, third, and fourth, I just started putting them to bed at like 6, 6.30. And they were ready. And then, you know, they would get up at like once in the middle of the night or I don't even remember. But like still, like they would they would go to bed at 6 o'clock. And it's kind of hard because then you're like, can't we can't go anywhere in the evening. But we would just always have people over to our house instead. <laughs> like we have a sleeping baby for the night. So you're coming over here. Yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. We're just like in bed at 630. Yeah, yeah. So you do that early. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, the other thing that's hard about that is you don't get to go to sleep until, so like I can't fall asleep at like eight. Yeah. So a lot of her sleeping hours are not my sleep. Yeah. Like you want to overlap sleeping hours as much as possible. And that kind of is like, it kind of takes three hours away from our sleep, but whatever, we split it. So it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) So are you home with, do you call her Josephine or Joe? We've been calling her Jojo. That's okay. just what came out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so are you home with her? Do you have childcare? What does that look like? So we have a nanny that comes, Annika Sisson, Emily Sisson's sister is oh, our nanny. Fun. <laughs> and uh, my husband coaches her and she comes over like for three hours in the morning so that I can train. And then I have her the rest of the day. And then my husband, he coaches over at Brown. Um, so he gets home like, I don't know, like six o'clock usually. So my double, my double is usually like, it was fine. But now that it's dark, I usually do it on the treadmill. Um, And he comes home and like does the nighttime stuff Mm. with the baby, like bath time and bedtime. And um, that's what we've been doing. But yeah, I could could not do it without a nanny because the naps aren't really reliable enough. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Um, What do you think about the treadmill? Like how much did you utilize a treadmill before this? I really didn't use it very much like that we even have one was like oh should we get one and then we did in the end because we go away in the winter so we don't really have like an excuse for one because you know the weather's never we're always gone during the bad weather but um, I'd say I use it for like doubles when it gets dark the month before we head to Arizona Um, I don't love it I don't love the model that we bought either oh (laughs) no what do you have you have a pro form I think and we only bought it 
so that we could fold it up mm. and like fit our cars in the garage. Yeah. So the the belt is like not something you would want to do like a marathon build up on by any means. I think we might re- like if I have to use it a lot more, I feel like we might get one with better shock absorption because <laughs> it's like just not the most comfortable treadmill um, for a professional athlete to be using. But at the time we bought it, it was like an emergency. Like we were just like, oh, you'll use this like for the odd time you couldn't get outside. I mean, surely somebody will just give you a treadmill. Like, surely there's some treadmill company that would be like, Molly Huddle needs a treadmill. Here you go. Maybe. I don't know. Woodway doesn't really give away free treadmills because they know they're the, we're the, we are their customer. Yes. The they need you to buy their treadmill. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I've heard like, that those are amazing, but they're like, they're like 12 grand, aren't they? I think even like a used one is 12 grand, but they're, they're the gold standard. If you're going to be running a lot on a treadmill, they yeah. feel so nice. And I mean, if that's your job, if like your job is running, then it makes sense to splurge on that. Yeah, definitely. So maybe that's in the future if I'm going to be using it a lot more. This episode of the podcast is supported by ZocDoc. ZocDoc makes it easy to find quality doctors in your network and in your neighborhood. Plus, with real verified patient reviews, you can find the right doctor for you. One that actually remembers your name. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. ZocDoc's mobile app is as easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant or getting delivery to your house. Search, find, and book doctors with just a few taps. Go to ZocDoc.com slash another and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash another. ZocDoc.com slash another. All right, back to the show. Uh, so tell us about like the postpartum buildup. Like when were you cleared to run? Did you feel like... Because like I, I was just having the same conversation with Alephine and she was saying how her doctor cleared her to run at six weeks. But she was like, heck no, I'm not running right now. Like this is not this does not feel right at all. So what was your story like with that? Yeah, yeah. And like Alephine, of course, had the Olympics on her count. Cal- like she had a hard day, like a hard date on the calendar that she needed to be ready for, which I'm glad I didn't have that because I felt like I would have wanted I would have rushed. Um, I felt like we took our time like. I worked with Jess Dorrington, a PT out in Oregon who knows everything there is to know about, you know, things like pelvic floor prehab and rehab. And um, so she was giving me some timelines. And then I used um, Trent Stellingworth had sort of like a timeline already that he used with some of his former athletes. And so um, it was good to have that as a reference for like when to start running and when to start run walking and how much cross training is advised. Um, I had a C-section, so I don't know if that made a huge difference. I think that slows down recovery, like maybe a a few weeks, two weeks, maybe is what I heard. So that kind of factored in, but yeah, I didn't start doing, I did like some run walking, I think starting at six or seven weeks, like little, like two minutes of run, like five minute walk type stuff, like very little. And then I built up to solid 20 and 30 minute runs around two and a half to three months um postpartum I think it was which I think is actually really conservative like I, I think would so yeah like I definitely would have come back faster by myself um but I'm glad I did that because 
I'm probably like a month behind where I could be, but I'm healthy. And I really like, I know there's a high risk of stress fractures, especially if you're breastfeeding. And I just really wanted to avoid any big interruptions like that. Um, and also like if you're breastfeeding in the beginning, like it's, a, you don't want to start training too hard too soon, just cause it's a lot to take on. You know, you want to be able to like fuel your body enough and it can be hard to do that when you're training a lot and breastfeeding and it was summer and I was getting dehydrated. So it kind of worked out that I came back slower, um, those first few months, but definitely like when I look back on it, you know, I was only training 40 miles a week while I was pregnant. Mm. And so I really, I detrained for almost a year and then I took two and a half months off. And so I kind of remind myself of that when I'm a little behind where I want to be. I'm like, you know what, you really, you got out of shape over the course of a year and a half. So it's going to take a little while to get back. Your body was doing a lot of work in that year and a half. Yes. It was doing something like hard, as hard or harder than training for a marathon. So <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. What was your C-section? Was it planned or no? It wasn't an emergency, but it wasn't planned because okay. we had, I, I got induced because I guess, I mean, I had my baby at age 38. So they, the, the doctor I was working with doesn't like you to go over 40 weeks if okay. you're that age. Um, and so I knew I was going to get induced and I kind of figured it was heading for C-section because I hear that can make it more common. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just kind of how it went. Yeah. It was just, it was taking too long and she didn't want to come out. So they were like, we advise the C-section. Yeah. So, yeah. But at least it wasn't like scary or an emergency or anything. Yeah. Did you have big feelings about that though? I really didn't want one. I really wanted to just do it as naturally as possible. But when you're getting induced, it's hard because like the contractions are worse when mm -hmm. you're on Pitocin. And I knew that would be like a thing that I'd have to deal with. And I didn't want to get an epidural. And I, and then after like two hours of really bad contractions, I was like, yeah, no, I definitely can't do this for like six more hours. So, <laughs> but then the epidural slows things down. And so it just, it trickled into like, it was what I was worried about, like snowballing into a C-section. Um, so I did afterwards, I was kind of bummed. I was like, I feel a little bit like I could not even push my own child out, which mm. like, I kind of feel like a loser for doing that physically because I'm a professional athlete. I'm like, I should be able to like do that with my body. But I think a lot of factors just came together that were like my age, um, the induction, probably a little bit like my build. She wasn't big, but she wasn't small. Her position, like a lot of things probably just came together that made it happen the way it happened. But I was a little bit like, ah, it's not what I ideally wanted to do. So how much did she weigh? She was seven pounds, five ounces, I think. Yeah. So like, right. Yeah. Like pretty average probably. Yeah. Yeah. But not small for a professional runner. Yeah. Like she, she looked round when she, <laughs> she had a very round head and a very oh. round body. So I don't know. She was like, a plump sized baby. <laughs> How do you feel about the term geriatric pregnancy? I don't love it. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, I know I waited a long time to have kids, so that's on me, but, but, um, I don't feel geriatric, no. but I guess everyone was like, Oh, you're very healthy. You're very healthy. But I, I also did keep in mind like, okay, but my cells are 38 years old. So whatever yeah. that means. <laughs> I just feel like that's young to call it. I my, had my last one at 30. Like I was like two weeks from turning 35. Um, and I will say like each baby I felt, I like felt significantly older as I was carrying it. But if you're having your first baby at 38, you don't have anything to compare that to. You didn't carry a baby when you were 28 or 32. 
I know. Yeah. So I was just like, I think I'm fine. I don't know. Is this hard? Like <laughs> they should really re rephrase that though. They should like find a different term. Yes. And my, my older sister had her baby at the same age. And my mom actually had my sister and I at the, at 38 as well. So in our family, we were just like, it's fine. It's I don't, don't worry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so are you like, have you made peace with it though? Like, are you, do you still grieve the C-section or I don't know if that's the right word. I had a C-section with my first as well. So I, I know that experience as well. I, I definitely, I don't know that I'm grieving, but I definitely think about it a lot. Like, okay. I'm like how could I, like, could I have avoided it? Like, mm. did I not advocate enough? Like, should I have had a doula or, but then, you know, you just want the baby to be healthy. And yeah. so you're like, well, I don't want to put, <laughs> I didn't like, if that was really necessary, I wouldn't have wanted anything to happen. So I think you just do a lot of rehashing. I think probably the doctors and the medical staff don't don't consider like how much women rehash that when they leave the hospital. I think they're just like, you're both healthy, like go home. But really, like, I don't know, for some women, it is kind of like something that for whatever reason really sticks with you. So I think it helped. I, I wrote like a birth story afterwards, mm-hmm. and that kind of helped me just like get it out of my head a little bit. But yeah, sometimes I am like, what if I just pushed a little longer? I don't know. Would it have worked out? <laughs> yeah, no, I get that for sure. Um, so what, like, what did those first few runs feel like? Like when you were doing the two minutes on, like, were you like, how do I run like 226 marathons? Like what is going on here? Yes, they felt terrible. Um, <laughs> they, it was like the middle of the summer, like, I felt like I was like really because of the hormones, I just wasn't tolerating the heat very well. And I just felt like, yeah, like I didn't want to jostle my body at all. So I was like, oh, this is the worst. These are the worst runs ever. Um, So, yeah, it was pretty bad. And then I didn't start feeling slightly good slash normal until probably six months or so, I'd say. Yeah. Who were your sounding boards? Like when you go out for those runs, like what did you do to keep yourself in a positive mindset? Like this is normal. This is okay. I'm going to get back to it, but it's just going to take time. Um, I think I just, yeah, I just knew just to try and like get through the run. Um, I was definitely willing to cut things short on a day if it didn't feel good. Um, I tried to focus more on like gym work, Mm -hmm. like, like if things weren't going well, I would just, I'd say, make sure you get in the gym work, um, like three times a week. I do it less now, but at the beginning I was like, if you can't, like, if you aren't getting very far in an hour or half an hour run, like it's fine. Just like, make sure you're, you're getting stronger. Cause that's what I have years and years of cardiovascular fitness, but like the muscles are kind of what got cut open and what got stretched out. And so I'm like, that's really important to focus on. And um, I think that did help a little bit that, you know, focusing on the rehab and yeah, some runs really just sucked. And I was like, this is what getting in shape feels like. <laughs> it's not, it's not the funnest part, but um, like going through the uncomfortable parts are what get you improvement and growth. And so it's hard when you've been fit for a long, long time. You forget about that uncomfortable phase you went through at first to get in shape. But yeah, it was, I was reminded. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember when you posted this, but you said something about like, this is like the farthest I've been from fit, like pretty much ever. Yeah, yeah. Like at the combination of like the low training volume for so long when I was pregnant, plus the layoff. Yeah, like usually I'm only off 
I mean, I've broken a few metatarsals before, and that's like an eight-week situation, but that's nothing compared to this. So, yeah, it was the first. Yeah, I remember talking to you, I don't know when, like maybe three years ago, a while ago, maybe four, I don't know, and you had talked about like wanting to have a baby eventually and... I'm curious, like, wh- why and when, like, why did you decide when? And has the, like, the landscape of how sponsors are, are treating women when they have babies, has, how have you seen that change and did that factor into your plan at all? That did factor in. I mean, I feel like even when I first started as a professional athlete, I always was like, okay, like, so I just can't have kids, I guess. Like, I looked around and I was like, well, either, like, either you retire, like, I don't see anyone with kids doing what I want to do, you know, like, I, I, either you retire, you wait till the very end of your career, like, guess that's how it is. And then after, like, the 2012 Olympics, I was like, okay, I made an Olympic team, when do I take my, like, two years off? And I was like, "Uh, I don't feel ready now, like, maybe in 2016. And then in 2016, I had set, like, multiple American records. And I was like, you know what, I really just don't want to I don't want to stop right now. So maybe when I'm 33, um, which was like only a few years later. (laughs) And then I was like, you know what, we'll do it in 2021 after the Olympics. Um, And then COVID happened. And I was like, okay, I really don't want to push this any later. I'm just, I'm, I'm getting older. And I had gotten a pretty bad ankle injury in 20, uh, like very end of 2019, early 2020. And the workouts and races just weren't going as well. So I was like, you know, I really think I should probably do this soon, but there was always something else. Like it was like, okay, well the Olympics have been delayed. Try and make the Olympic team on the track after not making it on the road. And that was, you know, many months. And then it was like, okay, that didn't work out. Get one more marathon in. And I, I remember it was that during that buildup, it was like summer of 2021. And I was um, building up for the Boston marathon and I got into like, week four, I think of training. And I hit my first like hundred mile week or whatever. And I still felt a little bit like, um, like my foot just wasn't like powering, like the injury was still affecting my foot. And I was like, yeah, I would way rather have a baby than run another marathon (laughs) right now. It's just so obvious. And so I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, like very happy. I didn't have any like you know, regrets or like, Oh, should I do it now? It was like, yes. Uh, I do think I need a break from running and like, let's just do this now. So luckily the time, the timing was very obvious to me. It was like, not something I had, like, I was not uncomfortable with having to give up any opportunities or anything at that point, but it was because I was so glad, like it was because I was able to give myself to the sport for, you know, so many other opportunities. And I felt like I had done so many other things that I was like comfortable stepping away. I, I can see how it would be really hard, um, to do that earlier in your career when there's so much uncertainty about whether you'll be back or whether you'll miss that perfect opportunity that like, you know, you would have been ready for that medal this year, but maybe the next year someone else shows up that you can't be beat. Mm. Like that's the, that's kind of the way you think about it. You're like, I need to show up ready every time to make sure I don't miss anything. And so, so that's already hard as an athlete. And then you layer on top of that, like the contracts, not really accommodating it, knowing you would have to basically operate off no income and get back to your old fitness level to prove fitness and get your contract back, which could be two years. So all of that was, you know, definitely making it harder. Um, I'm so glad that's changed. At least that piece is easier. We, I feel more supported now, um, which is great. Thanks to 
I always shout out Alicia Montano being so brave to mm. basically start that whole campaign. She really um, just improved life for professional female athletes, like in such a short amount of time, you know, yeah. that really changed things like right away. So um, things are very different after that than before the dream maternity. Yeah. She's the best. She's the best. She's a hero. <laughs> I um, randomly finished the New York City Marathon like right next to her. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like I where I'm walking through the fin- finishing shoot and I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? She's like so random. That's cool. Yeah, she she's moving on up in uh, 800 to the marathon. She can do. <laughs> I'm like, is there anything you can't do or won't do? <laughs> it's so wild. Um, so like once she did that, did people like you immediately go to your contracts and your sponsors and just be like, Hey, I want to get this written into my contract. What did that look like? I mean, I did. Yes. Because I had, I had, I've spoken about this before. I had tried to put that in there before just a longer protection time. Cause our, our, um, contracts never gave you enough time to have a baby. It was what would always, it be? I don't think you're supposed to say how long, but I, I think it was around six months. Okay. I mean, you couldn't be not racing for around six months. And of course, with Saucony, they're a very like person first brand. And so they would give you the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. There were many athletes that were injured longer than that, and they wouldn't reduce you or anything. They would wait, they would, you know, understand. But you had to really just trust that that person would understand. And if they what if by the time you wanted to have kids, they were gone from the company, you know what I mean? Like you want something in writing. Yeah. To, protect you. And that's kind of where I was coming from. I was like, you know, I really want this in writing in my contract and it just never passed the, the lawyer uh, lawyers. I'm not sure where it would get cut out, but, um, yeah, that's, I think I first asked for that in 2012. And so when that campaign came out, I was like, we're going back, (laughs) we're asking again. And, um, I said before in previous interviews too, like Ann Cavasa was the president of the company. And before that it was, She's the first female president they've had. So I, I think her perspective was mm. also really important. Mm-hmm. Like she she was like, yeah, we should be able to make this happen, of course. So um, I think just the timing was right. Um, yeah, and it was, it was something that I recommended the other women put it in their contract. And some of them were very young. And I think they were like, yeah, do I what? need to do that? Yeah, like, are you crazy? Like, I'm not thinking of having kids. And I was like, well, you never know. Yeah, <laughs> what if you do? And what if you end up and maybe it wasn't planned, but you do it anyway. Yeah. And like, you, then you're protected. Give yourself some support. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's so important that younger athletes have people like you to nudge them to do that. Because you might just be like, I don't want to mess with that. Like, I'm so grateful for the sponsorship I have. And like, you know, when you're young, you always feel like, I don't want to ask for too much and you don't want to be too much. And I think that's so important that you and Alicia and Alephine and, and people like that can like nudge these young women. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And I, I remember thinking that too, you know, you're just like, I don't want to call it toxic positivity. I think maybe it's just being naive and new in a place. And you're just like, I'm just focused blinders on, on, you know, improving. Like, I just want to get better. I just want to make you guys proud. And then um, as the years go by, you're just like, okay, well, I see ways that things could be improved. I'm going to work on that when I get a minute. And then when you get to kind of like later in your career and you have earned a platform and you've um, got some extra energy to spend on whatever you choose 
spend your energy on, um, you're like, okay, we're going to get this done like before I leave so that the next wave can have this. Um, I definitely think Alicia has done that. And um, yeah, if anything, you want to at least nudge the women coming up to take advantage of that and just like, you know, stand on the steps that were made by the people before, because it's going to make their, it's going to make their job easier. It's going to help them perform better and feel safer and more supported. And um, they might not see it at the time, but like, yeah, definitely. You're like, no, take this. Like you, like you deserve it. You need it. And um, yeah, it's funny when you look back, you see yourself going through kind of the same, (laughs) the same phases. So this episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker. I'm so grateful to have them on board for the podcast. Inside Tracker was created by leading scientists in aging genetics, biometrics, and Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you are not. We put so much time and energy into running or whatever it is you personally are passionate about. And I just think to be able to know what your levels are, especially for your iron and things like that, it's key. So with Inside Tracker, they will take your blood panel and then they will give you those results and give you an ultra personalized performance system that analyzes all the data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and it will help you learn how to optimize your body and reach your goals. For a limited time, you can receive 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. When you go to insidetracker.com slash another, if you go to that exact landing page, that should automatically apply the 20%. If that's not working, just use the code another and that will get you 20% off. So you are on a pretty good trajectory and like timeline as far as Olympic trials go though. Yeah, as long as I don't get hurt and I still keep getting faster because I still have to qualify. Um, yeah, we're hoping we're hoping to run the sub 72 halftime in January at Houston. Oh, so Houston. I, yeah, I had wanted to run the full there, but I think um, my coach wants me to wait till the spring just to be a little more ready. Yeah, that would be pretty quick to do the full. That'd be coming up real soon. I know. I kind of wanted to jump in knowing I wasn't ready and just yeah. aim, for the, aim for like 230 or something like that. But he was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> I was like, okay, we'll wait till I'm ready to try and, um, you know, run like a PR or something. <laughs> what will that be like being there running the half on a course that you once set the American record on? Um, I think it'll be, it won't be that weird. Like I ran um, a half there as a buildup for the trials in 2020 and I was just tempoing it. And so it'll probably feel like that, except it'll feel hard. (laughs) Um, but I remember, I think I finished like 12th that day. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it was, that was weird. That day was weird. Cause I was told to, you know, just run like 515 to 520 and um, it was really hard to let people go. But, um, this'll be, I mean, this'll be, I'll be racing it for sure, but it'll probably be like similar time, like around 70 minutes or so. So do you then, do you think, oh yeah, because you'll have to get, well, you can get a qualifier with a half though. I was going to say, do you think Mm -hmm. you'll run a spring marathon then? We do. I want to do one still just to like, I'd like to try and PR and I'd like to just see how my body handles the distance and get one more in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because what we have 14, 14 months before the trials. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do you feel going into that given like, the disappointment for lack of a better term of the 2020 trials. I feel like we're, 
Um, kind of, we're trying to run around this injury that I have. Like, I think it definitely did some permanent damage to my oh, ankle. And so okay. we're trying to figure out ways to, like, basically, like, adapt my form around, like, just we're going to just have to work with it. And so I think we're trying to find what events are best, you know, like, is it better to not do too much fast work on the track? Is it better to go longer? Um, and so I think this whole buildup is going to be kind of exploring that. And, you know, my goal is to get to the trials, qualify and just see what happens. Like, I, I feel like it's a day where it's the Olympic trials for USA. So like, the favorites could have something go wrong. Like you just need to be there and be ready. And that's kind of like what's getting me hopeful about it because there's a lot of ways where on paper, I'm not expected to finish top three. And it's not just about top three anyway for me, but there are, mm. there is a world where like, yeah, like it could be your day. Like we've seen a lot of fairy tale stories for the Olympic trials in the past. So it's kind of going to be a little bit of like, yeah, pr- like problem solving, I think, with the injury, but still, I don't know. It's still kind of like the number one goal on the calendar. So, But my thought is like, why can't you be one of the favorites? You are a veteran runner, and I think having a baby just makes you, like the process of that makes you really mentally tough. I really do. I hope so. I mean, I think... I'm currently waiting for the mom strength to kick in. Like people talk about it and I'm like, maybe it'll be delayed. Cause yeah. I'm currently like, I'm somewhat anemic. Like I feel like I'm just like all these, I'm like the baby's taking all my vitamins. <laughs> like I don't feel as strong right now, totally. but um, definitely your priorities and your motivations are stronger and more, con- more um, concise. And like, I don't know, you just know what you want and you know what's important and what's not and what you put your time into what matters. And so all that, I could see how it could like make you a better athlete. Have you shifted at all in the way you think about training in general? Definitely. Yeah. Between the foot injury and just like, you know, having a family now, you don't have as much time. I'm really just focusing on feeling good. Like, I feel like there Mm -hmm. were a lot of times we had, I was a slave to the schedule and was like, I must get all these miles in. Like it could be 10 PM and I'd be like, I'm still going to do my double, even though we traveled today, like (laughs) just like a little bit obsessive about it. And now it's like, well, I actually like. If my body doesn't feel good in a workout or a race, I mean, I'm not going to add load to that. Like, that's number one. So that's kind of my gauge. Do I feel good? Do I feel like I have pop in my legs? Am I, is my alignment good? Like, if not, I need to work more in the gym. Um, so, yeah, there have been days where I cut a lot of mileage. And, you know, that's kind of been the focus. Like, I think this next two marathon buildups, I won't be running probably as much as I did in the past. And mm. we'll see how that goes. So, <laughs> Um, will she come with you to Houston? Like, will you guys bring her with for, well, you're breastfeeding still. Yeah, I think we'll still bring her. I, I'm not sure how long I'm going to breastfeed Mm. for, but, um, I kind of want to try and make it as long as I can. So yeah, by then I don't think we'll be done. Yeah. Cause that'll put you at what, like 10 months you'll be 10 months postpartum. Yeah. Which I don't know if I'm just overblowing the breastfeeding, but I feel like as an athlete, that's like really a really difficult thing to do hard yeah (laughs) I just don't feel like I'm as strong as I normally am like I I don't know if that's a hormonal thing or if it's like the calories but like I also don't want to stop too early so it's it's definitely tough like I feel like that's not something a ton of people talk about 
Yeah, I think you've made it really far breastfeeding. Like I think that you've made it a really long time being a professional runner and breastfeeding. I can't, the the changes that it creates in your hormones and your body and it's like your body's not yours and there's just so much to it. I mean, your boobs get all heavy and uncomfortable. It's a lot. It's hard to even fit a long run in because you have to be home like in three hours. So you're like, okay, I can't drive anywhere. I got to like run from the house, get back. It's a lot. Of, yeah, it's a lot of um, just a lot. <laughs> I rem- I only breastfed one of my kids. But when I did, I remember I remember like I would go on these long runs and sometimes I would use push the stroller when I was on them and I'd like just pull them out and feed them like halfway through and after marathons like pumping in the car and mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's so much extra energy physically and emotionally. Yeah, you're kind of always looking at the clock and um, it is. It's a lot. It's like a mental schedule that you got to keep up with. So definitely. Good. Yeah, I'm glad people are like I think. Um, so Alicia, I also saw they're adding a lot of lactation tents to these races. Oh, and cool. I love how it's at least making people aware that like, oh, yeah, you need to do that. Like even before mm. you race because. Like right before, you know, right after. Yeah. Yeah. Because every three hours. And so it's like, I feel like there wasn't an awareness there of like how much time it is for women. And so I think that'll um, spread to other um, like employment, places of employment and just, I don't know, hopefully it makes it easier and women get more accommodations and respect for doing that if they choose to do it, which nothing wrong if you don't do it. I mean, my own mom didn't breastfeed us. And so when I talked to her about it, she's just like, yeah, yeah, we didn't have like... <laughs> that's hard. Like I didn't have to do that. So, um, and we turned out fine, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, now you have me thinking like, what if someone runs, I'm thinking like the New York city marathon and it takes them five hours to finish. And then they're in that finishing shoot and you have to walk like us normal people have to walk like a mile and a half to get through the finishing through shoot Mm -hmm. 275th street. And then it's like another hour before you get back to your hotel. It's like, you're seven, eight hours in by then. And then you're stressed because then like your milk production will go down and then that's a whole like, yeah, it's a whole thing. And you should be able to run a marathon if you if you want to. Yeah. Um, Okay, so what's going on with keeping track? How's that going? It's good. We we're kind of like a once a month situation now just because we're all so busy. But yeah, it's good. We're um, we joined a network. So we're going to be switching over to Evergreen Podcast Network. Um, we're one of the first three women's sports podcasts on the network. So that's exciting. And, um, yeah, we have some planning to do for our 2024 guest list. Um, and it's just chugging along. 2024 or 2023 2023 sorry I was like man you guys are ahead I'm like already doing my 2023 running schedule so I'm like it's 2023 already no (laughs) thank you say dang you've got some story you got a lot (laughs) we don't we don't plan that far ahead no way no No. way (laughs) um and what about the book how she did it how's that going it's going good yeah Sarah and I are planning a few like activations some around some of the um like footlocker races coming up and hopefully um like maybe some bigger road races and we're talking about doing some maybe like mentoring projects that tie in with the book so there's lots of directions it can go yeah oh for sure um what do you think about the Orlando announcement for the trials what do you think about that location I, do, I don't know. I guess I just am going to accept wherever they put it. Like, of course. <laughs> but I'm, I'm guessing Orlando will be flat. So who knows? It could have a lot of hairpin turns and things like that, but it probably won't be a super hilly course, which um, 
good to know because last time it, w- it felt like it was oh pretty late. <laughs> um, and yeah, it'll be a bit different. So like the shoe situation is like more uh, mainstream now. I feel like last time it was more like some people have super shoes, some mm. don't. So that was the whole thing, which in hindsight is like actually a big deal. But um, a huge deal. We're moving forward, I guess. and just going to we're just going to work with what we have going forward. And then did you uh, have yeah. them in 2020? We had a pair. I didn't really like the ones I had. And also, I didn't really think that they worked that well. And like now there's all these studies out where it's like, no, it's like 4% economy. And you're I'm like, okay, well, that explains a lot. Yes. <laughs> um, but I do think they, they work for different um, foot types and mechanic, like people with certain mechanics more so mm-hmm. and less so for others. So I kind of, I think the one testing day we did at Saucony, um, I think I had like a 1% economy improvement. And so I think maybe I'm just like a low responder to them. And mm. But they they have a new model out now that's actually really different. So those will be fun to work with going forward. I like them so far. Yeah, you're someone who's really been in this long enough that like you're, you've seen the evolution of this. And um, we were just talking, I was just talking with Kara Goucher about this because she was talking about the recovery, like how the recovery is much quicker now because of the super shoes like, do you, do you wish they were never invented? Like, tell me your thoughts on pro or not pro super shoe. I do wish they were never invented because <laughs> I'm probably going to say that. But it's only because, so I'm obviously using them now. It's just like, it's the way that the sport has gone. You have to. I think to, to not use them would be silly. I think we're figuring out how to use them. Like, so we used to think when they first came out, it was like you race in them, you don't train in them. And then, you know, you're, it's like training with a weight vest and Mm -hmm. then you put the shoes on. It's like taking the weight vest off. I think now it's the opposite because you recover faster. So you should train in them. And then maybe you can put your training days, make them harder or put them closer together or something like that. Um, But this was all a learning curve. It all comes at the expense of like not racing very well until you figure it out. And so that's always hard when you have, you know, every, every race is important when you're an elite athlete, because your career is just not very long in the grand scheme of careers, you know? Um, so there's that. And then I think it's a bit weird how like, the way we talk, think about them is like, I don't know, there's this like cognitive dissonance of like, they work, but they're not cheating, but they do work. To make yes. faster. But yet they're, you know, and then it's like, we're racing all these records and we're just like not acknowledging that the shoes are like probably a big part of it. And so Uh it's like in a span of two years, like everyone who had a record now doesn't. And I'm just like, okay, well like that's fine. The sport's moving forward, but can we acknowledge like who did it in flat shoes and who did it in like the super shoes? Well, and you're someone whose records will be broken and have been broken. Yeah. So many of them have been broken in such a short amount of time. And it's like, well, records are made to be broken. But like in one year, if they they all go down, it's kind of like, okay, well, maybe it's partly technological and I can't go back and run them with the shoes on. So it's like a bit, it's like you want it to be acknowledged, like a little bit of a like, I don't know. Before times, this is the after times. Yeah. It's just a weird, it's like a super jump in technology, like more so than any other thing we've ever added to the sport, I think. It's like, um, wasn't there like a swimming, like some special swimming thing that they invented and then they like banned it? Yeah. Like those suits, I think they were like, well, what if, what if all the records go down and one, you know, and it's like, well, that's what's happening here. So (laughs) I don't know. We, we just are all okay with it. Or actually, I guess the other thing that makes me annoyed is, um, it doesn't matter if we're okay with it or not. It was like four people at Nike or were okay with it and then just like launched it into the world and everyone had to keep up. So I'm like, yeah. I feel like we didn't 
we didn't get to have a choice really. Like it was just like, here's the shoe. Everyone's going to take a while to catch up to it. And that's how it is. <laughs> and now they're super spikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which the spikes I find um, feel better on my foot. Okay. I think, I think the stack height is what I struggle with. But um, yeah, it's everywhere now. You got to you gotta be able to afford the shoe. You got to be able it's to. expensive. Yeah. You have to be able to access it. Some people, you know, it's really hard to order the shoe. Like they run out. Um, I'm thinking like high school kids and things like that. So it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Like it's, it's a challenge. Um, it just seemed like it used to be simpler before. Um, were the NCAA, like, are the college kids wearing them? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they're wearing them. I don't know how I, I think so. Like my husband had to order some for his team mm-hmm. and it's like, sometimes he can't find enough. Like it's hard to, like, if you're an elite athlete, you always have enough. They send you what you need, but it can be hard to actually like order them. Like the stores run out. Yeah, and I guess for, like, us everyday runners, it's, like, I get to each his own, but I'm kind of, like, I think it's silly. I'm, like, you're going to spend $275 on a pair of shoes to run a 314 instead of a 316, and my husband's, like, it's cheating. Just run more. You'll you'll get faster. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, there's other ways you could improve two minutes until you get to a certain point. Yeah, like- yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but tons of people listening wear them. So don't hate on me, guys. I know you love your super shoes. There were, I ran a 337 in New York and there were a ton of super sh- I mean, I bet like 60% of the people around me, not including me, I was wearing Hoka Mach 4s. Um, I bet 60% of the people around me had super shoes on at least. And like that part of me is like, Okay, if it makes people love running because they get a PR, okay, then, yeah. then that's great. Like if people are like, oh, like this was a funner day, more fun day for me because I PR'd in these shoes. But just at the elite level, I, I think it raises a few fairness questions, like, yeah. like the way it was introduced and, uh-huh. you know, those things. So, I mean, I think a pair of shoes that are 150 bucks, I feel like that's a lot because you we have to change your shoes every like 400 miles or something. So going up to 275. Mm-hmm. Guys, I did not know I was going to rant on this today. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, then you factor in like the cost of entering a marathon. Oh. And it's like, since when is this something that like has a barrier to entry now? Oh, it totally it's so does. The majors, yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always been there. And it's like, maybe that's something we need to make a little more accessible. Yeah. I mean, entry to New York City, my husband and I both ran $300 each. You know, mm-hmm. all the shoes leading up to it, the travel yep. to get there. Like <laughs> there is nothing cheap about running these majors as the everyday athlete. Definitely. Yeah. But it is fun if you can afford yes. it. <laughs> yes. We just want more people to afford it and try it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know what all they give, but I just was interviewing Susanna Sullivan about this. And um, TCS has this really cool teacher program where they give I think it's 50 teachers, like a VIP experience at the marathon. I don't know if they get like free entries or anything like that, but I think programs like that would be really cool because if you're a teacher living on a teacher salary, like you don't have a partner with a, you know, another salary, like that's a really huge expense for what you would make as a teacher. And so um, I think programs like that could be really cool and maybe they'll keep implementing more. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad they do that. That's a cool program. Yeah. I guess I need to find out more details on it. Anyway. Um, all right, Molly. So what are you most excited about coming up? <sighs> what am I most excited about? Um, I guess just excited to 
I don't know, get through the holidays with a baby. That'll be fun. <laughs> first, first everything, first Christmas, first Thanksgiving, first snow. Um, How do you choose like which family to go to? That's always harder once you have a baby. I know we used to alternate and now I feel guilty skipping a year because like so much changes in one year that yeah. I'm like, oh, we might have to start traveling more and just do both all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then just, I don't know, trying to get back to my baseline normal. I feel like that's coming up soon. Like I'm getting closer. Um, I was, I'm hoping for this buildup for the Houston half, I'll be hitting kind of like more of those normal times soon, like in the next like month or so. Um, and I'm just excited for, yeah, I don't know what, like all the big races, all the marathon majors and, um, I guess world cross is the next exciting Mm. thing like for spectating for me. Um, cause like I was going to say the majors are over NCAA cross is over. Those are like some of my favorite races to watch. (laughs) So yeah. When is world cross? I think it's February, early February. Cause I looked up, I had wanted to do it, but it overlaps too much with Houston half the, um, U S cross and the actual world cross. So yeah, but I'll be watching. I like that race. Oh, fun. Molly, um, congratulations. I mean, so much fun to come for you. I mean, seriously, just wait until she's a toddler. It is the cutest. I mean, she's already adorable, but it is the cutest, most fun. Yes, it's hard, but like the cutest stage ever. Yeah, I can't wait till we can do more things, like more activities with her. So, and she starts like up. saying words back to you, and oh, mm-hmm. it'll just it just <laughs> melts you. I think I feel like ages two to three are just like, oh, I just want to eat you. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Uh, thanks for coming back on the show and sharing your postpartum journey. I know that so many. Um, I think that you along with Alphine and some other women I'm probably not thinking off the top of my head right now have really helped change the narrative of what coming back postpartum could look like and it's really important what you're doing I don't know if you realize that yeah and I feel like I'm not trying to advise anyone to do what I'm doing or anything like that but I do just want to be like I don't know like this is what's going on in my life this is what I'm doing these are my workouts um hopefully it it helps people I don't know it helps it inspires other postpartum women uh to know that like they can take their time but they can also do it like it's doable um and just I don't know, like the mom, the the mom community and the running community are both good, strong communities. So I'm I'm loving being a part of both. Oh, thank you, Molly. Thanks, Lindsay. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Molly, for coming on the show. If you aren't already following Molly, why not? Molly Huddle on Instagram. You can find me. I'm Lindsay Hine six two six on Instagram at Lindsay Hine on Twitter. We have a great Facebook group we'd love for you to be a part of. It's called All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. Thank you so much for being here, and we will see you next week on All Have Another Podcast.